Uh, hello everyone and welcome to uh, Faith Roots podcast, also going out as Faith Roots Live um, on, on Facebook. Um, uh, you can listen to this as, as the podcast, it'll be available from Faith Roots and then later in the week from Anchor and um, other podcasting platforms that, that host it and uh, I, I should be getting a version up on YouTube. And today I wanted to just talk around some of the ethical questions that have been uh, there uh, throughout the COVID pandemic and have particularly become live again in the last uh, few weeks with the Omicron variant uh, coming in and that uh, raising people's concerns again. And I want to look at those issues because uh, whilst there's an immediate issue, immediate concern for how we respond to the pandemic, uh, there are also, I would suggest, uh, bigger issues that we want to face in terms of how we as Christians approach ethical matters. Uh, because whilst Responding to these questions now in the middle of this pandemic may feel like one one-off situation that we hope uh, we won't have to face again in our lifetime. Uh, they may be current for the next, even for the next year or uh, the next few years even, but we hope to get through this. Uh, they reflect the sort of questions that are going to come up in different contexts and have come up in different contexts for Christians throughout the ages and around the world. Often when those of us in the West have not had to really think too carefully about them. I don't know how much we'll get through in, in this session. We may need to have a, a, a second go at it, depending on, on how much I, I waffle on uh, now on, on specific points. Uh, but the, the starting point is, is this. Um, a few weeks back, uh, South Africa and Botswana alerted the world that they'd found a new uh, variant of concern uh, from COVID-19, a, a new lineage of the virus. It had a huge number of uh, mutations, particularly on the spike protein. And that's crucial because uh, what the, the vaccines uh, do when they are responding to the virus is uh, uh, they enable us to produce antibodies. And one of those types of antibodies is a neutralizing antibody. It attacks the spike protein to try and prevent the, the, vac uh, the virus from entering the body. Other uh, antibodies bind themselves to the, the, uh, to the to the vaccine, uh, to the to the virus, to and uh, to the spike, in order to help us produce uh, T cells and white blood cells that will um, seek to respond and uh, fight the infection. Uh, and the concern was that this new variant would be able to transmit more e easily, that it'd be more virulent, and that it would be able to escape the vaccines, but also seemed to be escaping natural immunity from uh, previous infection. At the moment, we're still working out how significant that is. And there seem to be some promising signs coming in to suggest that 
uh, with uh, whilst present vaccines at sort of double dose uh, will struggle with this variant uh, that the variant however uh, can be responded to with uh, with booster jabs and that is likely to reduce the risk of hospitalization and death but also of transmission of infection as as well uh, but it's still early days there's still a lot of uncertainty and we uh, don't know quite how aggressive this is is going to be uh, so the result of that is that uh, governments around the world have responded putting travel restrictions in place uh, uh, in the case of the United Kingdom um, reintroducing face mask mandates on public transport and in shops and now in places of worship um, for England but some of those were still in place in, in Scotland and Wales and bringing in a Covid uh, passport uh, requiring people to be able to demonstrate that they'd had vaccination before entering in large venues where there was perceived to be a higher risk of transmission and some countries had already like Austria had been looking at having new lockdowns in some cases those lockdowns restricted to those that had not yet been vaccinated and so questions have been uh, brought back to the surface again one big question is uh, do these rules that restrict our liberty mark uh, the start of a, an authoritarian attack a longer term attack on our, our liberties and our freedoms if vaccines are compulsory does that go against our human rights do we have a, a, a autonomy of the body a right to refuse treatment uh, and will vaccine passports or partial lockdowns discriminate against sections of society creating segregation and again if they effectively make it mandatory to receive the vaccine uh, does that mean that they are again taken away from our liberties uh, circling around that have been all sorts of claims and theories uh, uh, that uh, the vaccine itself is dangerous that it's inserting tracker chips into us that it will kill um, that uh, big business is behind it uh, sometimes those kind of claims start to start to show a worrying tendency towards using anti-semitic sources from um, the hard right and, and i have to say up front one of my big concerns is that there are people around who are pretending to be libertarian but actually have their own very sinister disturbing agenda as i said when you start to see anti-semitic tropes coming in be alert um you know people may appear to be speaking up for you saying that they want to do uh, want to protect your freedom your liberty 
And what they really mean is not that they are concerned that you will be under authoritarian rule and not free in general. Rather, what they mean is they think you are under the authoritarian command of the wrong people, of liberal governments or whoever, of your church, that kind of thing. And they want you to be under their authority. I'll say that up front. That is my big concern. Now, oh, the, the other thing I was going to say is uh, around that is you've, I've also seen people claiming that this is the mark of the beast and that uh, the word pharma um, in, in Greek is to do with evil and magic and uh, it talks about that in Revelation being cursed. That's a complete misuse of the Bible. It's another conspiracy theory. It's nonsensical. And so let's stick all of that up out of the way for now and say there are some horrendous conspiracy theories. Uh, but I also think there are some genuine questions about how we engage on the issues of liberty and freedom. What are human rights? What does it mean to be valued as a human? Uh, and also, where is the the kind of the dividing line, where is the marker, where are the boundaries between God's law and human law? What does it mean then for us to be Christians living in this world, worshipping God, good citizens, but also fully obedient to God? And so one of the concerns that has been raised, for example, is, is this, uh, that if churches comply with measures, for example, uh, at the height of uh, the first lockdown and the mini lockdown uh, last year in the United Kingdom, churches were not able to open their buildings for in-person worship. And so had to use other methods. Other countries were similar, uh, sometimes restricting the numbers that could be in one place at any one time, um, either by uh, specific capacity limits being set or by having um, social distancing rules that made it impossible to uh, use your building to its full capacity. Uh, so those restrictions came in and uh, in England last week face masks were reintroduced and churches were required uh, to uh, to implement that so that on Sunday we had to wear a face mask if we were in church. There was uh, a bit of an exemption that people were given a uh, permission to decide if they would be uncomfortable and would struggle to sing with a face mask on and so the option of removing the face masks for that was was in place I don't think that was quite the liberty that some people took it I think it was a, a bit of a if you really have to kind of thing I think the preference was that we should keep our face masks on and some people have responded and said but that means that the world is intervening that the state is intervening in 
what we do as a church. Some people have even said that they're telling us how uh, to worship. So I wanted to take a bit of time to think about all of that. Um, that is such a big subject. Eh? Where do we start with that? Well, I thought the best place to start was the question about our responsibility, Christian responsibility, uh, to obey God. Uh, now, there are a couple of crucial Bible texts here. Uh, in Acts, uh, the disciples, some of the disciples are arrested and put in prison. Uh, but God sent an angel and, and they're set free. This happens twice to Peter, I think. Uh, and then they get on with witnessing and speaking the good news. And the authorities find them in the temple and they are talking about Jesus and they tell them to desist, to stop. But notice this is the religious authorities. And the response of the disciples is that it is better, it is more important that they obey God and not man. Now notice that the immediate context there is, is not even the civil authorities. This is religious people bringing their commands, their instructions. And, and I, I would say there's an immediate point there, which is this. If your church leader gives you their own human advice and that advice goes against God's word listen to God we should obey God not man even the pastor but the other bible passage is Romans 13 and Romans 13 says this, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right and they will honour you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing good, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. And that text has been used throughout history to insist that whilst we have a responsibility to obey God, a command, a duty, an unavoidable duty to obey God, that applies specifically when there is a conflict between human authority and God's authority. That we are not to claim that we are 
outside and not under the authority and the rule of our, our government. So that's very important. Some religious groups have argued that they cannot really recognise the civil state as it exists. Uh, now, for example, in, in Islam, there's a pressure to believe that you should be part of an Islamic government under Sharia law. And that is there in some elements of Islam more strongly than, than others. The Jehovah's Witnesses have been suspicious of civil authorities. Uh, for example, that has led uh, uh, them to take a, a pacifist position in, in war, um, not merely because of a concern against being involved in violence, but also because they don't believe that they should uh, be serving in the army of civil governments in the systems of this world. Uh, and perhaps from there you can also say, well, that there is something, if we are wary of, suspicious of the powers that be, the authorities, the state, because the book of Revelation just and, and book of Daniel and places like that do point to how these the powers of this world, the authorities of this world, the governments of this world are often hostile against God, that the culture itself is hostile. So we have got to be alert to that. And I think there is a, a right level, not that that kind of level that we see with the Jehovah's Witnesses or the or or the Islamic State kind of approach, but a, a healthy alertness that these governments are often in conflict with God's purposes. But that is very clearly balanced out by here in Romans 13. And you will notice that Paul doesn't say obey your government if they're nice and good, not even if they're democratically elected, if your prime minister at least puts on the appearance of being a Christian, that kind of thing. Uh, one Peter will make a similar challenge, i put it in the context of rulers that may even be bad rulers, ungodly, even bullying, tyrannical ones. Uh, and the government, the civil authorities, the emperor that Paul and uh, his early readers and for much of the early church would have experienced uh, would have been tyrannical would have at times been persecuting the church, would have worshipped idols that definitely were not democratic. And yet Paul says, obey them. And know that they're there. This is part of God's sovereign purpose to bring order. Why? Because they put laws in place and they try to stop people from doing things like stealing and cheating and lying and murdering, and those kinds of things. Uh, so the, the general expectation is that if you are punished, it is for doing wrong. Uh, now, in of course, in that context, some punishment can be wrongful in, in, in effect. It's persecution 
But the general gist is, submit to the authorities. And I would suggest that that indicates where our general posture should be as Christians. Now, that doesn't rule out the possibility that you might want to protest and challenge. Uh, and uh, remember that there are legal ways of doing that, uh, first of all. You can vote in a general election, in local elections, in by-elections. And you can vote against the, the current government or the current people in power in local authorities. You, you have the democratic right to do that. You, you also, in the United Kingdom, not everywhere, have the democratic right to refuse to vote as a protest, uh, to say, I am refusing all of the options put in front of me because they are equally bad. You have the right to do that. There's also the right in many countries to protest with petitions, with demonstrations. marches, strikes, different ways of expressing that. And um, some people have suggested, and I think there might be something in this as well, that within our understanding of how society functions today, there, there is also the possibility of a, a kind of civil disobedience that may be possible at, at times. That's slightly trickier, I, I think, but I, I can see there might be a case for, for that. But the crucial point is this. We submit to the authorities unless they are contravening God's word, God's law. And of course, that then puts us into the question of, of would that be the case in terms of what is being asked of churches with the, the masking rules. Uh, now, now, some people have suggested, yes, it immediately does. Why? Uh, well, they, they rely on something called lex rex, um, which means the, the rule of law. Uh, and uh, that was a theory developed by a guy called Samuel Rutherford, um, who was one of the Puritans uh, around during the, the time of uh, the Civil War, that, that time of period in, in England. Uh, and there was a concern about uh, uh, the potential for kings like King Charles I to be tyrannical. Uh, and, and he argued that there are really three spheres of authority. Uh, there's the sphere of the, the king or the government today, uh, the state, uh, to set laws. But then there's also the sphere of the family and a strong argument that parents have responsibility for how their children were brought up and that the state shouldn't over interfere in that. Uh, and, and finally, there was the sphere of um, uh, 
the church and it had authority for ensuring that people obeyed God. Now of this in the context where there was an assumed Christian state that the state that England was a Christian country in that kind of kind of sense and that, that puts us in a different context now anyway. Uh, and the argument has been made, well, therefore, if that's the case, uh, then doesn't it mean that what happens in church is under the authority of the church? And that for the state to try and tell us what we do in, about what we do in church is to cross into that realm, to that sphere, to go beyond its boundaries. Sounds plausible on one level, doesn't it? But I think that's problematic. Think about the, the family sphere. We can give, I think, examples of how the state could overextend its authority into the sphere of the family. We can think of examples where it's done that. Like people sometimes use the expression the nanny state to describe that kind of thing, don't they? So if the state starts dictating to, to you uh, what books you should give your children to, to read, what toys they can play with, which formula of milk to use, exactly when bedtime should be, all that kind of thing, it, it starts to look very much like they have become tyrannical and gone beyond their legitimate sphere of authority. And you'd want to say, but out of it, it's none of your business. None of your business whether we give our kids £10 a week pocket money, uh, take them to McDonald's at the weekend and visit a, a, an interesting museum or Drayton Manor for a day out. But we also know full well that when when a child is being abused physically, emotionally, sadly, often sexually, and their life is at risk, that the parents are both being tyrannical and abusing their authority, their power, their responsibility within the family home, but also that they have broken laws, criminal laws. Because saying that the state has a sphere of responsibility doesn't mean that it hasn't got any say in what happens just because it's in the four walls of my house. But that's not how the spheres of responsibility work. Similarly, if I was to walk into church, into the church service on Sunday and punch one of you in the face, I'm, I'm not going to, but if I did, and the police came and arrested me, it would be ridiculous for me to say, I'm not under your authority here. I just want to check if the pastor was okay with me doing that. 
I'm still under the rule of law there. Uh, and so if there are laws to do with the protection of life, to do with negligence, to do with the health and safety of people, then we cannot simply ignore them because we are gathering together as the church. The state is exercising its legitimate authority there to do those things, to require those things. Incidentally, whether or not those in power themselves keep the laws. You know, that's <coughs> that would have been the thing in, in Rome. Yeah, the, the, uh, you could be, um, you could find yourself punished for stealing, for getting into a brawl, for murdering. Uh, for all kinds of things. You could find yourself in court uh, because of defamation or other kind of civil wrongs as a Roman citizen. And it would have been no use to say, but I know that the emperor is a drunken, murderous, licentious, evil villain. You were still subject to the law. Why? Because those laws were there for your good. Uh, just as it would be ridiculous for me to say, I'm not going to comply with COVID laws because Matt Hancock snogged his girlfriend. Oh, Boris Johnson may or may not have had a party last year. That's not good reasoning, is it? So, for those reasons, I, I would take the view that in the current context, it is wise and right and good and godly and a good witness to comply as far as possible with the measures in place. We may not always agree with them. Governments don't always get it right. We may be uncomfortable with them. They may make life difficult for us. But if we are not being asked to go against God's word, God's rule, then I don't think we've got an opt-out clause there. And of course, that is going to get us thinking, as I said, not just about the specific scenario of COVID, but other situations where those challenges might come up. Now, and, and I realise that I've taken up most of the half hour on this particular point, so we will come back for part two um, in, a, in a future podcast. Uh, I may do uh, a, a, double, a double bill this week. But here's the, here's the next thing. I also want to take on board an important challenge here, which is this. 
that obeying God doesn't necessarily mean that we are limited to just questions of is the church itself under attack that there are other ways in which the state can ask us to be complicit in going against God's word in fact it's probably more important to look at those situations than it is to be always thinking about how we defend our, our rights as Christians. So in the 1930s and 1940s, Germans, and this was a problem for the, the German church at that time were asked to be complicit in brutal evil in the systemic discrimination segregation victimization abuse bullying harassment and then murder of the jews and and other minority groups as well so that six million died in the holocaust And the idea that being complicit in that was required by Romans 13 is evil. We have to be complicit in murder, in abuse, is to go against God's word, God's command. Now that will raise challenges for us, won't it? Just as it raised challenges for people like Bonhoeffer. Uh, if I am not to be complicit, does that actually take me beyond the situation where I simply refuse to take part? Or are there measures that I need to take to prevent? I believe that in our context, the measures are there within the law to seek to act to prevent things being done against God's word. But it does then raise the challenge for us. What will it mean for a, a Christian, a Christian doctor, uh, to be asked to carry out an abortion or a euthanasia? What will it mean for a, a, a Christian who's a, a teacher, who's asked to recognise somebody as male when they were born female or female when they were born male what 
What does it mean for us when we see a hostile environment created against asylum seekers, meaning that they might be sent back into danger, sent back to their death? Those are challenging questions for us to think through, aren't they? Well, I'm going to pause there. That that means basically that I've not got too big a file to upload for you to listen to or watch on YouTube. Uh, and then I'm going to come back, I think, more or less straight away. Just kind of a glass of water. So we'll be back up and running on uh, the Favourites Live version on Facebook shortly and you'll be able to pick up the video and the audio of that as well. Uh, but some things to, to think about. <laughs> 